Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on March 7th, 2021, on the basis of John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from our Lord who cleanses your soul. Amen. The reading for our sermon today is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 2. It's going to be verses 13 to 22, but we're going to split it up into two chunks today. So we'll we'll take the first chunk here, starting at verse 13 and going through verse 17. It says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove from the temple courts both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is God's word. So Jesus is in Jerusalem for the highest festival of the Jewish year, which was the Passover. This was a celebration that had taken place for, for nearly 1,500 years now because it was going back to the time when God saved the Israelites from Egypt. Remember this, the scene. There were, there were 10 plagues that God sent on the Egyptians before Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go, only to change his mind and chase after them in his chariots and with his army But God splits the Red Sea in two, lets the Israelites cross on dry ground, and destroys the Egyptian army. This Passover was instituted at that time. It was instituted as a remembrance of God's deliverance from Egypt. And so at the 10th plague, God was going to to kill the firstborn of everyone who did not put the, the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. And so this lamb was to be a year old and spotless without blemish or defect, and the blood of this lamb would save the Israelites and all who believed from death. It was pointing ahead to the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. So so this was a big deal for the Jewish people. This was a celebration that that everybody marked on their calendar every single year. For us to kind of understand, it would maybe have to combine the excitement of Christmas and Easter And then we'd start to get close to how the the Jews thought about the Passover. It it was a big deal. And so a lot of Jewish people made pilgrimages to Jerusalem during the the time of the Passover. And Jesus did just that. He traveled to Jerusalem, the holy city of God, and he entered the temple, the holy sacred worship space. But he didn't quite find what he expected to find. Perhaps he expected to find people contemplating their sins, confessing their sins. He he probably expected to find people who were calling on the mercy of God, seeking his his mercy. He probably expected to find people who were humbled at being in the presence of God, because that's what the temple was for the people. This was where God resided. Now, if at this moment you're thinking, I thought God was everywhere, (laughs) I thought he promised that he was with everyone. You're right. 
100%. He is everywhere at the same time. He is God. He is omnipresent. But he also says in his word that he dwells with his people in his worship space in a special way that maybe we can't even fully understand. It started back in the tabernacle and has now moved to the temple today. Therefore, entering the temple was a big deal. It was not something to do flippantly. You would enter with a sense of holy, reverent fear in your heart as you come before the holy God into his presence. Yet when Jesus walked into this temple at this time, that's not the sense he got. Here's the scene that he saw. He saw tables with money changers there, which was a typical occurrence at that time because you would have to pay a temple tax when you walked in to the temple to support the the priests and those who worked in the temple there. And since people were coming from all over the, the world at this time, they had to exchange their currency. Just like if you went to a foreign country today, you would have to exchange the dollar for whatever country's currency you, you went to, to visit. And so they were doing this, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a set in stone thing. There would be some bargaining, there would be some bartering, there would be some arguing on the exchange rate and the transactions. And so not only were they exchanging money, but these conversations were likely loud and, and intense, so there, there was a lot of noise going on there. Add to that that there was people buying and selling animals at this point, too. People were coming from all over, like I said, and some of them wouldn't bring animals with them to sacrifice. And so instead of bringing their own animals, they would buy animals there to sacrifice to the Lord for, for their sins. These transactions were somewhat similar to the exchanging of money. There's bartering, there's bargaining. It's loud to add to the noise, the, the, the noise of the animals, too. And so what Jesus saw when he walked into the temple was not contemplating or confession, not people seeking the mercy of God. He, he saw, essentially, a marketplace. Now, now, there's really nothing wrong or immoral about the exchanging of money, there's nothing wrong or immoral about buying and selling animals. But Jesus was righteously angry that this was happening in the temple courts, in this sacred place of God. This was no place to, or this was no way to enter the presence of God. Because the presence of God requires nothing uh, but reverence and holy fear. We, we don't enter God's pre presence in irreverence and with impurity. In fact, we see several examples of that throughout the Bible. When God appears to a sinful human being, there is a, a specific reaction that humans have. Let me give you three examples here. You maybe remember the story of Moses in the, the burning bush. God, Jesus appeared to Moses in the burning bush to call him to be the leader who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he appeared to him in the burning bush, it says this, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So it struck fear in his heart. Here's a second example. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, is called into a ministry as a prophet. And it's a, it's a wonderful scene with, with angels and with God there calling him into ministry. And here's Isaiah's reaction. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Fear is in Isaiah's heart. A few weeks ago, we, we walked through the story of the transfiguration when the disciples walked with Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus' glory was shown before them. 
You remember how they reacted? It says this, when the disciples heard this, this was the voice from God when he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Uh, it says, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. So I don't give you these examples to prove that God is, is the scary boogeyman that, that is going to scare people and terrify them. That, that's not his goal or his want. But we say this because this is how sinners are in the presence of holiness. When a sinner stands in the presence of a holy God, they feel God's righteous judgment in their heart. It's simply put, when you stand, a sinner stands in the presence of the holy God, you start to realize how unholy you are. You're acutely aware of the fact that you do not match God's holiness. Because we learn from the Bible that to be holy means to be perfect. It means to be spotless, to be clean, to be pure, without blemish. In the Old Testament lesson, we read through the, the Ten Commandments. And, and as Jesus walks into the temple courts, he sees a gross abuse of the, the Third Commandment, which was probably the longest one in that set of commandments. It was, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Jesus didn't see people remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. When he walked into the temple, he saw a, a general marketplace. He didn't see people seeking God's mercy. He saw people trying to make a, a few dollars. <laughs> and so, Jesus cleanses the temple. He drives out the impurities. He gets rid of the irreverence. Throughout the Bible, there are these themes that we get. They're beautiful themes that maybe start in Genesis or Exodus or one of the early books of the Bible. We can trace them through several portions of Scripture. And it's really cool to trace these themes because it shows how the Bible is one unit written by several authors over the course of centuries, yet these themes are carried out and give us a picture of what God is, wants us to know. And one of the most beautiful themes there is the temple. It started at, at the tabernacle. I've already brought up that word this morning. The, the tabernacle was uh, like a tent. And when the Israelites had left Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, God told them to set up this tabernacle, this tent. And he promised that in this tabernacle, in this worship space that had certain specifications, he would dwell there with his people. His presence would be there. Then a little bit later on, Solomon builds this beautiful temple where God lays out the specifications for the temple too. And God makes the same promise with the Israelites. I will dwell with you in this temple. You can see that the theme is starting to be traced through the Bible here. And the Apostle Paul picks up on that theme. When the Apostle Paul talks about you, believers, individuals who have been baptized and who have faith in their hearts, you know what he calls you? Temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so just like God dwelt in the tabernacle in this special way, just as he dwelt in the temple in this special way, he so dwells with you. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus enters the temple in Jerusalem and he finds a marketplace. <laughs> he finds bartering and arguing. If God were to look at you, temples of the Holy Spirit, what would he see? Would he see a temple that is pure and clean? Or would he see a temple that has 
evil thoughts and desires and wants? Would he see a temple that is pure? I think at times we'd like to say, yeah, he'd see something that's, that's clean, right? <laughs> but I, I think sometimes we're maybe prone to, to something that we'd call selective cleaning. Um, I, I kind of get this term from my mom. Um, I, I was never a clean child, and she always had to kind of hound me to clean up my, my room. Um, and after it took me a while to actually start doing it, I, I would do it, but I would do what maybe some of you have done too. I'd clean up the things from my floor in my room, and they'd go right in the closet. <laughs> and so my room would look pretty clean. There'd be nothing on the floor, but if you open the closet, it'd be, it'd be pretty dirty. But I would have insisted that I had cleaned the whole room. I think I've gotten a little bit better since then, but that's something that she would call selective cleaning, that I would choose what I want to be clean and what I don't want to be clean. I think spiritually we do something similar. Spiritually, we, we look at areas of our life and we think we're pretty clean, we're pretty, pretty pure in these areas of, of Christian living, but we are neglecting other areas of our Christian living too. We let other areas go unchecked or unexamined, and that, that's a dangerous thing for our soul because God cares about all of his word, right? Not just some of his word, but all of his word. And we saw that when he laid out the Ten Commandments. So he, he wants you to, uh, to not hurt or harm your neighbor, and at the same time, he wants you to, expect, or to respect leaders, to expect, respect government officials, to respect your principal, your teacher, your, your parents. He wants you to do both those things at the same time. He, he wants you to uh, protect other people's source of income, protect other people's possessions. That's the seventh commandment and the ninth and the, the tenth commandment. And at the same time, he wants you to remain sexually pure, the, the sixth commandment. He, he wants you to remember the Sabbath day. He wants you to not misuse the name of the Lord. He wants you to tell the truth. God cares about all of his word, not just some of it. And so when we get our minds off of the selective cleaning, just focusing on the, the parts of our life that we feel like we don't have any issues and we look at the whole of God's word and the whole of my life, we're left with this conclusion. If my body is a temple, then it's not a clean temple. It, it might be even more littered with, with stuff than that temple in Jerusalem that had money changers and animal salesmen. It wasn't pure. I, as a temple, am not pure, and I'm left with just a single prayer, Jesus, cleanse my soul. So after this all happens, the Jews come, the Jewish leaders come and approach Jesus after he's driven uh, the money changers and the animal salesmen out of the temple. And here's the next section here. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So as the Jewish people come to Jesus and they question him, it, it's kind of interesting that they don't question 
the fact that he threw out the money changers, the fact that he threw out the, the animal salesmen, it, it kind of on some level shows you that maybe they, even they thought that this was not an appropriate act of worship. This wasn't appropriate for the temple. And so they're not trying to defend those practices, but they, they make it all about authority here. What gives you authority, Jesus, to cleanse the temple, to drive the, these people out? To which Jesus gives a response, but perhaps not a response that the, the Jewish people were expecting or, or looking for. Jesus says this, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, as they're standing physically in the temple, it's kind of hard to, or it's kind of easy to understand why there might have been a little bit of confusion here, why they might have been actually thinking about the physical temple. And since the Jews thought Jesus was talking about the, the physical temple, it seemed absurd to them that something that took 46 years to build with many different workers was somehow going to be destroyed, and then three days later be rebuilt by Jesus. But of course, we get in Scripture here that Jesus is not talking about the physical temple, but he's talking about his body as a temple. So now we've traced the theme of temple from tabernacle to temple to temples of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus, his body is a temple. And his body is going to be destroyed. Exhaustion and pain and death lay ahead for Jesus' body. But he says here, and this is before he rose from the dead, he says here that three days later it will be rebuilt. His body, the temple, would be destroyed, but three days later would be raised from the dead. Jesus most certainly had the authority to cleanse the temple. Earlier in the reading, he mentioned, my father. And so he was making a claim to being God. He had the authority to drive out people from the temple, but perhaps the bigger point here is that he has the power, the ability, and the authority to cleanse our temples too. By his death, by his being rebuilt in three days, being resurrected, he has cleansed us. He has cleansed us so that we might be able to stand before a holy God and, and be pure in him. He has cleared all of our impurities, all of our imperfections. He has made us spotless and without blemish. Jesus has cleansed our soul. There's a lot of different other examples of, of people who were standing in the presence of God, in the, in the presence of a holy God, and they were fearful. We could have come up with a lot more. And one day you're going to stand before God too. But, but you're not going to react like Moses reacted. You're not going to react like Isaiah reacted or like the disciples reacted. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, it's not going to be terror that fills your heart because Jesus has made you holy through his blood. He has cleansed your temple, your body, so that you can stand before the holy God with confidence that he, he has made you clean and that heaven is yours and that he will welcome you in one day. We praise God for cleansing our bodies, our temples, and making us clean so that heaven would be ours one day. Amen.